Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Moving on to other matters here, uh, some interesting research out from the University of Calgary School of Public Policy regarding the carbon tax in Alberta and specifically the carbon tax rebates. I also want to talk about the issue of corporate taxes because we've got a pretty significant promise today from UCP leader Jason Kenney regarding Alberta's corporate tax. Joining us on the line is Trevor Toome, uh, who is a research fellow at the School of Public Policy at the University of Calgary, also assistant professor of economics at the university. Uh, Trevor, thanks for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, let's start with this uh, corporate tax issue. And, and let me ask the question another way, because um, you're an economist, right? You, you follow the evidence. You, that, that's, that's your research, and, mm-hmm. and that's what we talk about. It, it seems as though, you know, depending on what the issue is, depending on who's happy or who's upset with what economists are talking about, you're either uh, somebody that we really need to listen to, we need to respect these these um, esteemed professors, or you're ivory tower, know nothing, right? Political eggheads. Um, I, I guess you, you get all of that, don't you? Yeah, yeah, and I think it's it's quite interesting today because we see these two. Uh, issues that have big differences across the parties, the corporate income tax reduction and the carbon tax, uh, so the, the two issues that I've uh, mm-hmm. done a little bit of, of work on, uh, the carbon tax results released today. So uh, like on corporate taxes, I think there, there's a great deal of, of evidence and analysis suggesting that this can, in fact, increase investment, employment, and overall economic activity. And so a, a move to lower the corporate rate um, may indeed increase all employment in Alberta. Uh, and that's going to be a conclusion drawn by many public finance economists, and mm-hmm. that would be highlighted by uh, the UCP in this case, whereas economists are also fond of noting that market-based approaches to climate policy, like a carbon tax, the evidence suggests, tend to be a lower-cost way of approaching emissions reductions, and that's not going to be something highlighted by uh, by the UCP in this case, but instead highlighted by the NDP. Right. I mean, and that kind of yeah, exactly. confirmation bias um, or kind of partisan goggles that, that somewhere when interpreting the evidence is certainly uh, interesting. And as we get into an election, we're going to be seeing a, a lot more of it. Uh, so Jason Kenney has proposed taking Alberta's uh, current provincial corporate tax rate of 12% down to 8%, one percentage point each year. That, that would make Alberta once again the lowest uh, of all provinces. In terms of, of corporate taxes as a means of generating revenue, on, on that side of it, Trevor, certainly we've seen that it, it didn't really deliver as, as the NDP helped when they raised corporate taxes. What, what does the yeah. research tell us about is it, its effectiveness as, as a revenue-generating tool? Well, it, it depends on what province we're talking about. So different provinces are in different situations. There's this idea um, uh, behind the revenue implications of uh, tax rate change that involves kind of a mechanical effect. Whereas if you have a higher rate, all else equal, you're going to expect higher revenue. But then there's also a behavioral effect that goes along with that. And corporate income taxes lower the return on investment, and this will lead to less investment and a shrinkage of the corporate income tax base, we say. So how large that behavioral effect is 
relative to the mechanical effect determines whether or not uh, a tax rate change will increase revenue. So, so the best estimates are actually put out by my colleague here at the School of Public Policy, um, Professor Bev Dalby. He's kind of gone across all the provinces. Some provinces have corporate income tax rates that are indeed too high, and they may very well increase revenue if they drop those rates. It, it doesn't look like Alberta's in that situation, though. So on balance, um, lowering the corporate income tax rate will probably lower corporate income tax revenue in Alberta. But that's okay if we recognize that as an implication of the policy change, potentially making up for that lost revenue elsewhere. I think the move announced by Jason Kenney today is not really uh, a measure designed to increase revenue, but more one about employment and economic activity and investment more generally. Right. So that what would be the objective in your view then of, of lowering the corporate tax rate? Well, that would be to increase investment and potentially employment mm-hmm. in the province. So different taxes have different effects on the economy and corporate income taxes do, um, especially at subnational corporate income taxes do tend to discourage investment and employment. There's a good deal of evidence on that. So at the margin, lowering that rate can increase economic activity. And I, I'd say that as a general statement is not a controversial one and one that, in fact, is uh, seen in some of the policy choices made by the NDP. So we do remember that they increased the corporate income tax rate to 12, but they also introduced what's called the Alberta Investment Tax Credit. This is effectively a targeted corporate income tax reduction. So the idea that taxes can affect investment and increasing the rate of return to investment after tax is a way to help boost economic activity is not something that I think is is a partisan perspective. Mm-hmm. So if lowering the corporate tax rate in Alberta doesn't necessarily mean there's more corporate tax revenue coming in, if there is increased investment, increased wages, or even increased employment, mm-hmm. are there additional revenues coming via other taxes? So, certainly, yeah. Um, if you increase economic activity generally, then that will have implications for personal income tax uh, payments, for example. One complication there is that sometimes individuals, um, small business owners or those with sole proprietorships, they can kind of choose where they book their income. Do they book it on the corporate income tax side or do they book it on the personal income tax side? And at least now, if you look at the top end of the income distribution, you might have individuals facing a 15% marginal personal income tax rate And then they may look to the 8% corporate income tax rate and shift income across bins. And so that would mechanically result in what looks like more corporate income tax revenue, but it's really just shifting between tax bases. So it is kind of a complicated question to, I guess, answer in a very precise way. That's interesting. All right, let's talk about your research out today from the School of Public Policy. Now, this looks at uh, the the rebates uh, that are part of Alberta's carbon tax, and, and how those costs, how those rebates vary across households. I don't know if, if the carbon tax was intended to be a, a redistributive kind of tool, but is it is it proving to be? Well, this research that myself and uh, my colleague here at the school, Dr. Jennifer Winter, released is really based on some, some new data that Stats Can put out that we got access to uh, in January, and so I've been playing around uh, exploring that data, and we find huge variation in carbon tax costs across across households. That's 
itself not all that surprising. I mean, some people have larger homes than others. Some people have apartments or condos rather than detached homes. Some have no car. Some have two cars. So the fact that some families face higher carbon costs than others is to be expected. And then the rebates are lump sum transfers. They're not really refunds mm-hmm. of, of carbon tax payments. And so it's, it's also entirely expected that there's going to be many people who have a rebate that exceeds their carbon tax costs and then other households where that's not the case. So we find that four in 10 Alberta families have tax credits that exceed the carbon tax costs. But if you look across the income distribution, you see huge differences where lower-income families, the overwhelming majority of them, have carbon tax rebates that are larger than their carbon tax costs. And then among higher-income families, almost nobody has rebates that exceed their carbon tax costs because most higher-income families don't qualify for a rebate in the first place. How, how does that compare, then, to if Alberta were to adopt the, uh, the federal Plan. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting difference between the Alberta and the federal approaches to carbon taxes. So in Alberta, about 40% of the carbon tax revenue is used to fund these household rebates, whereas federally, it's going to be 90%. So you're going to see a large increase in the size of rebates if Alberta does scrap its own system and the federal one is implemented. Uh, they'll be larger in size and everyone will get one. And that means the net after-tax implications of a carbon tax done under the federal approach will be that more households see uh, those rebates exceed their carbon costs. And and we indeed find that about 8 in 10 would mechanically have rebates under the federal plan that exceeds their carbon tax costs. Is is there a preferred approach here? I mean, I I suppose that depends on on what the intent of the policy is. But do either of these approaches have any impact on on the rate's uh, effectiveness? Well, so here's here's my take. I I don't see these lump sum rebates as anything more than a means of buffering lower-income families from what might be a disproportionate burden of taxing fuel, because a larger fraction of spending among low-income households is allocated to fuel than among higher-income households. But So the federal one, I think the approach there is a political one. Make the use of funds, the rebate itself, very visible and very large to potentially affect the politics around support for carbon taxes in general, rather than spending the revenue, for example. I think just from a pure economic efficiency perspective, using carbon tax revenues to lower other taxes, such as funding large reductions in the corporate income tax or personal income tax rates, for example, uh, would have been what I would say is the preferred approach. Well, and there is the concern that the emphasis on, on rebates to households means that more of this is, is borne by businesses. Yeah, that's true. And that's, that's part of the reason why you can have 8 in 10 households see rebates exceed their carbon tax costs, uh, because some of the costs will be borne not by families but by businesses. Uh, returns to capital might be lower, for example. So there are implications for investment wages and lower GDP growth. So we, we definitely do not, and we're quite explicit in what we put out today, that there's no free lunch here. There are costs beyond just the carbon tax dollars paid and the rebates received. This is a lot more visible, which I think is why economists tend to prefer uh, the simplicity of carbon pricing over other regulations. Yeah, and also in part because there are countless thousands, millions of individual small things that go towards 
lowering emissions. And the trick is to lower emissions in the cheapest possible way. And often governments don't know what all the actions are that an individual family or business could take. So the carbon tax provides an incentive and allows individuals to decide for themselves. So it's a decentralized approach rather than uh, a centrally planned one through government. All right. Well, much more policyschool.ca. Trevor, I always appreciate the insight. Thanks for joining us here today. Thank you. Take Take care. care. Uh Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.